0: This is the Legend of a Man Named Scott. Sport was an important part of his early life. From skiing with his family to getting inspired by the University of Toronto Varsity Blues and the University of Alberta Golden Bears, Scott developed an early passion for sport. While he never would become an elite level athlete, sport was always something that defined Scott's identity. A fire would burn within Scott that would influence him to pursue a career that embodied his passion. Scott was driven. Scott was motivated. And then one day, something truly remarkable would happen. Something that would change his world forever. After graduating with three degrees, with most of his focus being on the world of journalism, Scott would join the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in 1985. This would be a fateful decision, because upon joining the CBC, Scott would enjoy almost 40 years of a rich, fulfilling career in broadcasting, first starting in news, and then in sports. This however, was only the beginning. Over these decades, Scott embarked on a new adventure towards broadcasting everything from horseback racing, to university sports, to NHL hockey, to the very Olympics themselves. Scott's adventures would grant him many achievements including Gemini Awards and Canadian Screen Awards for his work. From the Olympics to the World Cup and everything in between, Scott has paved a marvelous, legendary career of his own. He has told the stories of many athletes, but now it is time to tell his story, his adventures, his legend. This is the legend of Scott Russell. Scott, thank you so much for coming on to the show.
1: Great to be here, Amos, and uh, nice to you again.
0: Nice to meet nice you. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been long time. Yeah. Uh, it's been four years, yeah. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but the first time we met was back in 2019. It was at the University of Ottawa GG's Varsity Banquet. I was the MC of that event. You were the guest of honor and the guest speaker, the keynote speaker at that event. So, wow! I mean, a lot has happened since then.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, we've been through uh, we've been through a worldwide pandemic. Uh, we've been through a metamorphosis uh, in sport, um, how we cover sport, um, what sport means to us, and uh, you know, in, in many ways, it's been a time uh, when we've all grown up, Amos. Uh it's uh, it's been a real reckoning uh, for those of us uh, in our particular line of work, um, and you know it's been interesting to go through this time uh, and to see how important or how unimportant we are in the sporting world. It really, it's been a bit of a wake up call.
0: It truly has been. It has been a very much of a wake up call. I mean, as you mentioned, so many different growing opportunities i should say a lot of growing pains and opportunities at the same time it's been rough you know some of us have have maybe lost family to the pandemic and and so forth but uh yeah i think many people have come up stronger from the pandemic um and with so many different learning opportunities here i think things are going to look up here you know in the world of sport where you where you work and i think they're starting to be things where they're starting to pick back up to where they were before 2020, where people are coming back out. We're seeing the same numbers coming out, same viewerships, so on and so forth. It's it's looking like, like it's pretty positive, at least from my initial perception.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And I think the most positive thing that we've seen come out of this is the return of the spectators to the venues. And I think that's something that the athletes really – suffered from uh, during the pandemic was you know they were performing uh to empty arenas to uh empty stadiums and the atmosphere is is not the same and i i think the great performers in any sport they they rise to the occasion and, and they are spurred on by the fans and so i think that's the key thing that's that's happened is is fans During the course of the pandemic, we're starved for live sport, the spectacle of live sport. And now that they're back in the arenas and the stadiums and the gymnasiums and the pools, um, I I think that relationship between the athletes and the fans has become that much stronger. It's really great to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and. Eventually, we're going to be starting up another university sport year. And, you know, with the CBC covering U sports, I think that's also coming back into play as well as well. Once again, we're seeing no restrictions anymore with the audience coming back out in full force, supporting their teams. We're seeing this across the board and, and even at the local level or at the university slash national level.
1: Absolutely. And, and you're right again. Um... It it goes from the grassroots uh, to the high performance athletes to the professional athletes. I mean, uh, you know, one of the, one of the victims of of the pandemic uh, was uh, grassroots sport. Uh, Kids could not get out to the field of play. I mean, they had to do sport virtually and it's just not the same thing. So I think you're right. I think, I think we're great to have everybody back onto the fields of play and back in the stands to watch them perform.
0: Absolutely. And what better to do that than to have, well, broadcasters such as yourself do that. And especially in your in your case, having done this for over 40 years, let's go back to the very beginning. So what inspired you to pursue journalism?
1: Well, I got to tell you, I I wasn't initially someone who was going to pursue that line of work. I uh, always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and, uh, I, I was in fact a teacher, uh, I have a bachelor of education from a college at the university. What was then the university of Western Ontario, now Western university. And I taught high school for three years in Owen sound on the shores of Georgian Bay. Um, and I coached basketball and volleyball and I taught history and geography and consumer education. And I found out with Amos that, uh, what I really enjoyed most about teaching was was coaching sport. That's that's where I really found myself and uh, uh, enjoyed that so much. Um, and I also was very interested in politics. Um, it was a it was a family thing. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, my grandparents, uh, they taught politics all the time. Um, and and when I was growing up, one of my best friends. Uh, Ian Davey was his name uh, and his uh, father was Senator Keith Davey um, and he would talk politics all the time but he also had a great interest in sport, the Toronto Maple Leafs, we'd go to a lot of Leaf games. Anyway, to make a long story short, um, I ended up writing a lot of letters to the editor, opinion pieces for the Owen Sound Sun-Times when i was uh when i was teaching it on sound and they tended to be about political things um political parties what was going on in municipal politics and that kind of thing and i thought you know this this might be something that i i want to pursue and so i um i kind of looked around i was a bit dissatisfied with with being a high school teacher and being in the classroom and having to discipline kids and so on, you know, which is always the case. Um, and I, I, I found uh, the University of Western Ontario's master's degree in journalism, which, which was really new at the time. This was, you know, early to mid 1980s. And um, it was a one-year program, uh, only 40 students, and they they required that you had some life experience, that you weren't coming right out of your uh, undergraduate degree into the master's program. So they wanted you to have some life experience. And it was particularly attractive because the dean of the journalism school at Western at the time was the late Peter Deborah. And Peter Deborah was a longtime host at Global News, um, a foreign correspondent. Um, a political journalist uh, of the highest caliber, who I knew of, and um, had followed his word. And so that became very attractive. So I, I took a flyer and I applied for the program. I had to write an entrance essay. Um, and lo and behold, Amos, I got in, um, which, was, which was great. And that was a, a big turning point uh, for my career.
0: Yeah, it certainly was a massive turning point for you. And, you know, that turning point, with all these experiences that you had as a high school teacher, how has that and your early formative years growing up with your family, how has that influenced the way how you approached your journalism degree at the time as a journalism student? Well, I think, uh,
1: I think growing up, you know, and being Uh, In a family situation where there was always talk at the dinner table about politics and about sports. Um, My dad uh, was a physician, uh, and uh, he was also uh, on faculty at the University of Toronto, uh, the School of Medicine. And he would take me to uh, the Varsity Blue Games uh, at, uh, at Varsity Stadium in the fall. And, uh, I remember, uh, we went to the Vanier Cup, um, where the Varsity Blues, um, defeated the Alberta Golden Bears and, and won, you know, the Vanier Cup. And, uh, I remember that being, you know, fantastic. And we watched, you know, the guys that played for the Varsity Blues at the time, you know, you, you're far too young to remember these names, but some wonderful football players. Jerry Sturzburg was a running back, absolutely fantastic. Mike, even, who would go on to play with the Toronto Argonauts, uh, was one of the receivers, fantastic player. Um, So so that influenced me in that regard, but but, but also, you know, this this constant talk at at the table about politics and about current affairs. And, um, you know, I I think I I really valued, um, I I was also a camp counselor. and and spent a lot of time at a summer camp. Uh, I was an assistant director at a camp, um, you know, into my late teenage years and, and early 20s. Um, and I, you know, I, I knew the value of a good story. And I think that was really important um, in one in wanting to become a journalist and, and to become a professional storyteller. Um, you know, there were so many stories to tell about about different kinds of things, about politics, about um, economics, uh, uh, about sports, um, all, all these things. Uh, great, great stories, and that, that really attracted me.
0: Yeah, and being able to tell these stories, that is something, again, that you would be doing for the better part of, of 30 years coming to 40 years. What of the most important lessons that you've learned from your early days Going back to those early days in journalism, what were the most important lessons that you learned from playing sports with your father, spending time with your father, with your family? And how did you incorporate these lessons in your time as a journalist? And how did you use these lessons to tell a good story as a journalist?
1: I I think that, you know, spending time in sport as a young person, I, I came to value um the the privilege it is to have sport um and to to be able to access sport not everybody does um sport can be expensive um it 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 is not as inclusive as we would hope it is and so I, i i think you know, being afforded the opportunity to be able to go skiing with my family, my father always told me, you know, it, it's great to play team sport. It's great to play hockey. It's great to play football and all of the sport is something that's for life, um, which was what he always told me. So, you know, it was the ability to have something that you could take into your later years that. You know, allow you to be physically active, to compete with yourself, um, and uh, and that, those kinds of things really stuck with me. That that sport, while it's not a luxury, it shouldn't be a luxury. It's something to be, it, to not be taken for granted. I, and I think my my dad always kind of told me that. You know, you're very you're very fortunate to be able to play sport. And and to enjoy so many sports, to be able to go to see the Toronto Maple Leafs play, um, all of these things. So I, I think that that to me translated into my time in broadcasting um, that that gave me the message that sport sport is important to people's lives, and it's something that. Should not be taken for granted that, that it really does help shape us as culture, as a society, and, and it's very important to who we are as people. And, and I've always approached sport that way, Innes, and in my broadcasting of sport. It's not, it's not based on statistics. It's not based on wins and losses. It's based on the importance of performance and, and the truth in sport, which is that we, we kind of I mean, find it irresistible to compete and also to watch it unfold.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. You know, I, That's a great, great way of putting it. There, there's so many lessons, that as you mentioned, that can be learned in sport. I'm really glad you mentioned about health and being able to bring sports later on in life. Because I'm thinking we're... I think that we're starting to see a lot of that, especially after COVID. People are realizing that they need to take care of themselves, their mental health and their physical health. And even just simply going out for a walk or lifting a couple weights or dumbbells or going for a run, going for a bike, a biking session rather, or going for a swim. These things do wonders for your body in general. And the most important lesson in sport is sportsmanship because it teaches humility. It teaches teamwork. It teaches everyone that you can't win everything, right? Winning isn't everything. Sometimes you, you know, have to take the loss of life too. Yeah. You know, so,
1: you well, know, if- you know, and I, I, I know that we've talked about this before and, and I'm sure you've heard me say it, you know, one of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes, um, of anybody, and you know, I'm a student of sport, I'm a student of uh, of the history of sport. That's, you know, you, you talk about the degrees that I have, I have a history degree, I have a uh, an education degree, and I have a degree in journalism. And these, these three things have afforded me a well-balanced approach to sport and how it fits into the grand, bigger scheme of things. You know, like I'm extremely interested in the history of sport. And how it's evolved over time. Um, I'm I'm ex- extremely interested in educating people about sport and what it means to us. Um, and and thirdly, you know, I'm 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 interested in ethical things, which my degree in journalism taught me. You know, it's is, is that we approach everything from an ethical standpoint. What is right and what is wrong? You know, uh, this is. Very important, but to get back, one of the quotes that I was talking about is is the founder of the modern Olympic Games, uh, De Coubertin, who said the most important thing in the Olympics, as in life, is not the victory but the struggle, the taking part. That that the beauty of sport is that we should take part in it. We don't have to win it all the time. We should take part in it, and that's that's the most important. And you know, the taking part means that it's for all people. You know, it's an inclusive thing. And I think that I've always approached it that sport is this unique thing that is, is a bit of a universal language that everyone can understand. Um, and it's welcoming. Uh, it, it's the only thing that welcomes people of every race, faith, gender, orientation, ability, you know, um, all all people are welcome in sport. And I, I think that's very important.
0: It's not about the, de- the destination. It's all about the journey. Right. That good old right. phrase. Yeah, that that phrase really rings true. There's also another version of that. It's, you know, it's all about the friends we made along the way as well. Um, yeah. So, and my goodness, over the years that you've been covering sport, you have made so many of so many friends and have met so many people along the way. What are the greatest challenges that you faced as a journalist back when you started out and versus now? And what has changed and what has stayed the same in your coverage of sport back in the 1980s all the way up till now?
1: Well, you know, the, the greatest challenges, uh, I have to tell you that, you know, it, its it's been so enlightening to be involved in sport and to have that opportunity to... See all that it offers and to be able to to broadcast it to tell the stories of sport, I think one of the greatest challenges is to is to uh to be able to focus on all that is out there and and to to be able to relay to your audience the importance of it why is it significant um you know I think it's very easy today to broadcast sport and, you know, to rely on on the cliché, which is it's a big game, this guy's hit this number of homers, uh, he scores so many goals, they're not clicking on the power play. I mean, I think think it's easy in sport to fall into that cliché. What is more difficult and challenging is to be able to uh, get it across in your storytelling. What is the significance of this? Who are the characters that we're bringing to life? And what do they mean? How can we relate to them? I think, I think that's a challenge that any journalist faces and certainly a journalist in sport faces that. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a challenge that, that um, relates to relevance. Why is this relevant? to people. Um, and then, you know, the joys, you know, how is it different today? Well, Amos, it's different because when I grew up broadcasting sport, I broadcast sport on Hockey Night in Canada, and I broadcast sport on the Olympic Games, on the national public broadcaster. It was for many days and many years, the only game in town. It was the big show. Um, and so it was, it was rare, right? And it was by virtue of being involved in that, it was special. Now, with the advent of social media, um, sport is everywhere, all the time, on every platform. And it is ubiquitous. And now, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge to make the big events special because now everything has become a big event. And, you know, every sport is on all the time somewhere on some platform. That's, that's what's different. It's, it's huge. It's become huge.
0: Yeah, it it certainly has. And in my own experience, having called university level sports for all these years as a sports announcer myself, I noticed that there's almost like a sensory overload when it comes to the sheer amount of sport and content that's flying around on social media and also on mass media. And you mentioned the the rarity that used to be in place back when you started out broadcasting sport, that has a certain charm to it, because as you mentioned, that was the big event. And I think because it was viewed as the big event back then, it almost sort of felt like everyone was gathered towards that, 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 that sort of social connection was a lot stronger a lot more cohesive back then, because, again, that was the event to look at. Nowadays, with I, so many events happening, it's like, hmm, like, I can't keep up with all of this.
1: No, I, I agree. I, I, I agree. You know, I'll give you an example. When I uh, when I was working on hockey night in Canada and we were covering the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, it, it was not a rare occurrence that if the Toronto Maple Leafs were playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, that, you know, in the first round, five million Canadians would be watching uh, on their television sets. Um, and when you were on that show, you knew you you had a big audience and um, uh, you were speaking to a lot of people. Um, Audiences across the traditional linear media uh, have declined incredibly, incredibly. Um, that doesn't mean to say the audience isn't as big. It's just much more fragmented. Um, and so, and so that lure of hockey night in Canada has become different. I think, I think one of the, well, two things have been able to hang on to that. Um, I think the Olympics has been able to hang on to them. Um, but still, the audience is, is more fragmented. But when you're the Olympic broadcaster and you hold the domestic rights, as we do at the CBC right now, um, you have the accessibility across all of your platforms to build your audience. So it, it still has the potential to be big. The, the other, and I've, I've become more recently reacquainted with this sport on television is, is NFL football. I still, I still think that the spectacle on television of NFL football has, has huge draw. Um, you know, uh, like, I I think people still across the United States and many people in Canada Um, watch NFL football on Sunday afternoon, they watch Monday night football to a lesser extent, but on Sunday afternoons, the draw is still huge. And it's still a huge television production. And that, you know, that distinguishes it from what goes on a platform or NFL Red Zone or whatever, you know, which are highlight kind of things. But the big game on Sunday afternoon on c b s or on Fox is still a big deal, and I don't know I like that I, I I like that
0: I like that too in fact, I draw upon that energy, at least my style of broadcasting. I draw on the energy of the crowd to boost up my presentation of the sport, and even outside of the broadcasting area, that again it goes back to that social element. I think many people, well, the more people that a sporting event has, even if it's, if it's just a regular game, a regular early season game, regular season game, the more exciting, the more enthusiastic, the more energetic it tends to be, and the more memorable it tends to be as well. And one thing that I noticed in my generation and in the generation afterwards, myself being Millennial slash Gen Z and then the rest being Gen Alpha or whatever. One thing that has really popped up in recent years is the culture of nostalgia. And I was reading somewhere that one explanation of that is because we're one of the first generations to grow up in a time where we don't really have anything tangible to hold on to, right? So when they look back to the 80s or the 90s, when they look at aesthetic, when they look at the fashions back then, even the music, there's there's a whole genre based on that. They feel nostalgic for something that they never lived through or have ever been born in. And I think sport has that to a certain extent now because there's so much sport going around. Many kids are still looking back to the history, I think even more so than before because they don't have that tangible element that or at least the same degree of tangibility that even people at my age and older have enjoyed. You know, I grew up in a time where I grew up in the 90s slash 2000s and that was perhaps maybe the last little bit of time where I can tangibly hold on to a specific aesthetic. You know, that was before smartphones, social media. I think that tangibility is what really influences the nostalgic factor. And I think sport again is, an example of that.
1: I agree one hundred percent. I think fans of sport yearn for a return to greatness of a certain team. Um, you know, they hear the legends of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Listen, you know, it, it, it's incredible to me to watch Leaf fans because I live in Toronto. Um I was a Leaf fan when I was a kid growing up. I mean, I saw Dave Keon play and Ron Ellis play and Johnny Bauer. I mean, I saw them play as a kid at Maple Leaf Gardens. Um and and so I I yearn for that kind of thing. But I think what the fans and they come out in droves, as you know, and are in Maple Leaf Square or holding on to dim hope that the leafs will advance past the first round of the playoffs, um, they, they hold on to maybe this is a return to the glory days that we never got a chance to to experience, but maybe we will now. Maybe, maybe this is our glory days. And I think that you're right. They, the fans yearn for something that, that they haven't had the ability to see. Or, or or experience and they and they desperately want it they desperately
0: want it yeah and if you remember 2019 i mean actually as a torontonian i think everybody remembers 2019 when the raptors won the nba finals that was well legendary the entire city shut down there were millions of Torontonians and really Canadians from across the country who came there to celebrate that momentous occasion because, well, we've never won an NBA finals in any part of Raptors history. But when that happened, man, the energy was incredible. I was actually in Ottawa visiting family at the time and I saw it on TV. I'm like, wow, that is one party right there. And that is one massive celebration.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, championships are rare. Um, and in modern sport with the movement of players and, and much more, uh, uh, you know, convoluted contract situations, uh, players are bought and sold, uh, they move really, uh, frequently. Um, not like the old days when you were a leaf for life or, or you played for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, for life as Jean Bellamo did, right? Um, it's different now. And so championships are rare. Uh, you won't get a, you don't tend to get a run of five championships in a row um, or or seven within a 10 year span. Uh, that just doesn't happen. So, when you get one, as the Raptors did in 2019, you know, it, it becomes huge.
0: University sport is an example of a place where I think that identity is still very much strong and very prominent. It really is. You're cheering for the university because all the athletes in that team are studying at that university. Most of the fans are alumni or current students or even faculty of that university. And when a team wins, they feel it because they are directly connected with those people. They may even know some of them personally on a personal level as well. So I think university sports still has that potential. And I think that's not going to change anytime soon, simply by virtue of the fact that their players, once again, are students. And that's also exciting to see. In Canada, admittedly, it's dropped off the map a little bit in terms of of attention in the mainstream. Unfortunately, for example, I went to to Carlton for my undergrad. There were actually an alarmingly high number of students who actually didn't even know what the Carlton Ravens were so let alone you know cheering on the game or watching a game well maybe that's maybe unless they're talking about basketball and that's when they find out oh actually we're pretty good at basketball well we've won like 12 different championships we had like a 10 win streak or something like that but outside of that the main point is the culture of sport and of university sport at least in canada is not what it used to be from what i found unlike the american university sport culture which is still going very strong but I don't know. I mean, there is some way to bring that back, though, and I think with the CBC's coverage of U Sports, I think that's the first step in bringing that back to the forefront.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's really important, in particular, that um, that that we continue to broadcast the the national football championship, the Vanier Cup. I think that's really uh, important that we continue to do that. Um, I think that we can certainly make uh something out of uh, uh the CIS women's hockey championship i think we can certainly do something with that um university basketball championships uh, will be big um but you know I, I think i think that it's important that the the national public broadcaster um take on uh the mission to uh to bring university sport to as many people as uh, we can in this country. Um, you know, I, I have great memories of, of uh, my time at Western. Um, I mean, the, the football culture there was immense. As you know, um, the Mustangs are one of the most successful football programs, uh, in, in the country. Um, and when I was there, they were winning Vanier Cups. Uh, the late Darwin Somodiak was the coach of the team. Uh, Jamie Bone, a uh, terrific quarterback. Uh, was a heck heckright winner. Uh, he, he was he was there calling all the plays. It was fantastic. They played at JW, uh, JW Little Stadium at the time, which held about I'm going to say twelve thousand people. Um, it was rocking uh, every every Saturday afternoon, um, and and the Mustangs were big. They're still big. Um, but I, I'm I'm glad that that CBC is doing university sport. I think it's great that the Vanier Cup is going to be at Queen's University this year. Um, I think it's it's great that we don't have one venue for every Vanier Cup, um, that it's going to go around the country. Um, I think that's a ton of fun. And uh, it's really good. It's really good that we're doing it.
0: Yeah, and it's important that we're doing it because that's what builds cultural identity in Canada. And going back to your experience, having told having well beginning begun to tell that story with the cbc how did you get that opportunity to start on this incredible adventure how did you get the opportunity to uh, to start rather at the cbc
1: uh well I, I after graduating from from western um the journalism school uh, i won a place at the cbc summer training program i was you know one of five students, uh, six students from across the country. Uh, there was one from Dalhousie. I was from Western. Um, there was one from the university of, uh, Saskatchewan in Saskatoon. Uh, there was one from, uh, UBC, I believe. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, one, I think from, uh, Concordia university. Um, anyway, uh, I, uh, went through the CBC summer training program, which was a month-long program, um, April um, of 1985. And at the end of it, we were to pick a place for internship um, for the summer. And uh, the one caveat being that we couldn't choose Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver, Edmonton, any of the big centers. We had to go to a smaller location. Um, so I went home to my dad and I said, I'm faced with this choice. Where do I choose? He said, choose Charlottetown, smallest place. They'll, they're not going to get you running coffee in Charlottetown. You're going to be in Charlottetown and you'll be able to do something. You'll be able to get right in there and get your hands dirty, so to speak. You'll be You'll, you'll be doing something. And he was right. You know, I landed in Charlottetown um, in May of 85, got off the plane, went to uh, the CBC. The executive producer was waiting for me, and uh, I was out covering the story that night. So it was, uh, I got my hands dirty right away.
0: It's great. It's always good to have on the night Uh, on the day uh, training rather it's always good to have that it's always nice to have practical training a little while back I think you were on George Strombolopoulos' show and he actually featured a little bit of the clip on back then all the way in 85 so we saw some of that early the early Scott Russell action back then I saw already like the beginning like this was it like there was something special there I saw that, you know, potential already back then. And, you know, lo and behold, 38, 39 years later, it flourished. It really, it really, you know, it really flourished. I mean, there's not how much I can say outside of, yeah. you know, that. <laughs> no, yeah. thank you. No, it was, it,
1: was, it, was a, it was a great adventure and it continues to be a great adventure. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing my work and I, I, I love the ability to be able to tell stories. And um, it's been an exciting, exciting uh, journey to be able to travel the world, uh, to see so many different sports. You know, I've been to the Olympics 16 times um, in China, in Japan, in uh, Italy, in Greece, in Canada, in the United States. And uh, it's it's been a fantastic journey.
0: So take us to your first hockey night in Canada broadcast. Take us to the moment, well, Maybe a little before that, take us to the moment that you were that you were told or you found out that you were going to be broadcasting your first hockey night in Canada broadcast, and then take us to the moment where you were on that broadcast. What were those feelings like?
1: Well, I mean, it was a tremendous honor to, to know that I was going to hockey night in Canada. It was 1989. Uh, it was deep into the season. I had. Uh, I had uh, broadcast the Olympic Games in 1988 in Seoul, and um, uh, some of the people that I worked with were were working on Hockey Night in Canada. And, um, and they said, hey, uh, you know, maybe we should give this guy an opportunity. Um, and uh, so the first game that I was to do was at the then Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton, and it was the... Um, uh, the Vancouver Canucks, Trevor Linden, uh, taking on the uh, the Edmonton Oilers. And Mark Messier was still playing for the Oilers. Uh, Billy Ranford, Gretzky was gone by then. So I was going to Edmonton to uh, to do the Canucks and the Oilers. And I thought, wow, this is absolutely fantastic. And so uh, I got to, uh, got to Edmonton. We had this morning story meeting. And uh, I'm, they had the script and worked off a paper script at that point in time. And right there at the top of the script, uh, it said, uh, Scott Russell, open the show, Zamboni. And I'm, I didn't say anything at the meeting uh, because there's, you know, Bob Cole was at the meeting. Uh, he was calling the game that night. Harry Neal was the analyst. Um, great broadcast team. And I was the new guy. Uh, so I just kept my mouth shut, but thinking the whole time, I'm going to open the show while riding around on a Zamboni. And I was petrified that that was the case. And uh, so I, I spoke after the meeting to the producer, Larry Isaac, who is from Vancouver. Um, and I said, Larry, um, So let me get this straight. I'm going to open show for a minute and 30 seconds, which is the allotted time. And I'm going to do it from the Zamboni when I'm riding around the Zamboni. And he started laughing. He goes, no, no, Scott. We just refer to the location where you are in the rink is the entrance for the Zamboni. So you're standing on the floor, the gate will be open, and the zamboni will have come off the ice. But that's where you'll be. Well, he decided to leave, so it was uh, it was it was quite nerve wracking to know that you were going to be on Hockey Night in Canada. But it was it was a ton of fun.
0: I mean, it would have been a ton of fun if you actually had to drive to the thing. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. Yeah. laughs> wow, that's that, that's that's great. And with your first experience at the Olympics. What was that like when you found out that you were going to be doing the Olympics?
1: That was fantastic. Uh, I didn't know at the time. You know, I was, I was 30 years old, um, but, you know, I, I had very little familiarity with uh, Seoul, which was the city of the Olympics. Um, I, I, I really was kind of mystified. Seoul, uh, South Korea, because South Korea at the time, was still opening up. It was it was known as the Hermit Kingdom for a long time because it was kind of a very insular country. And it, you know, the Olympics in nineteen eighty eight were a great coming out party for South Korea. Um, so that was tremendously exciting. But it was it was also a bit daunting because not long before that, um, I believe in nineteen eighty seven. Might have been even earlier in 1988, uh, a Soviet MIGS had shot down a South Korean airliner. Um, and it was a mistake uh, they believed the air, well, the airliner was flying over Soviet air t- uh, territory. Um, and we were flying on Korean airlines over. So that was kind of daunting. I have to tell you the truth, but, uh, no, I mean, it was fantastic. And uh, I was going to be covering tennis uh, because tennis returned to the Olympics in 1988 for the first time in a long time uh, and wrestling. And um, so, you know, I was going to be covering people like Steffi Grapp, who uh, who had the ability to win the Golden Grand Slam, meaning that she would have won, you know, the French Open, Australian Open, U.S. Open, Wimbledon and the Olympic gold medal, which he eventually did. So that was that was kind of a big deal to be able to cover that at my first Olympics. It was very cool, very cool.
0: That was very cool. I mean, Steffi Graf is a name I haven't heard in a very, very long time. That was also the same year when Pete Sampras turned pro, I believe. And, well, I mean, hardcore tennis fans would know how incredible Pete Sampras was as a player at the time. He would pave the way for guys like Roger Federer, who just recently retired and Rafael Nadal and so on and so forth. But yeah, that that was such that's that's a fascinating start into the Olympics. And knowing your passion for the Olympics, the Olympics really had a very strong effect on you. What do the Olympics mean to you personally?
1: Well, I mean, they're the greatest sporting event in the world. They're the greatest event in the world. They're the greatest recurring spectacle in the world. Um, you know, uh, people from every nation. Um, you know, it's it's all sport for all people. Um, you know, it's 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 an absolutely beautiful gathering of so many people from around the world. Um, and a display of human potential. Um, that's why I love the Olympics. I'm on the advisory board for the International Center for Olympic Studies at Western University. Dr. Angela Schneider is doing fantastic work there. She's the uh, she's an Olympic silver medalist in rowing um, and an Olympic scholar, and it's it's she's doing wonderful work. But the history of the games is so um, spectacular, and it's it's uh, you know it it. it it evokes history. The Olympics evoke history. Um, and I, I just love the spectacle of it. it. That's what it means to me. And, you know, I, I I gave up broadcasting hockey night in Canada. I could have continued on hockey night in Canada to this day, probably. Um, but I wanted to do the Olympics. And um, it, it's been a wonder me. And I've seen so many great things. You know, I've seen Usain Bolt uh, run... Uh, world record and then win the gold medal for the first time in Beijing in 2008 before the Bird's Nest Stadium. You know, there were 95,000 people in the stadium to see him run. He was absolutely wonderful. Um, I, 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 I've seen so many things. I, I, Kyle and felt won a gymnastics gold medal for Canada, unheard of in Athens in 2004. That was terrific. Um, I've seen so many great uh, moments uh, in figure skating, uh, Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer uh, winning the gold medal again, as they did in Chang once they returned after retiring. Um, but they they had that crowd enraptured. Um, it was it was it was wonderful, and you know I've I've, I've long had an association with the Olympic Games as well, um, and you know that sport is equally as spectacular to me um, because what I value is the competition. And, and the people from all over the world on the same playing field it's, its terrific.
0: Absolutely, it is terrific. And this is going to be a bit of a hardball question. Which of these moments are the most memorable to you?
1: That's, its a really tough one. Uh, it, uh, it, I think that um, I think that seeing oh, I, in in two thousand and eight we were uh, in a broadcast location called the Linglong Pagoda, uh, which is uh, overlooking the Olympic Green in Beijing and overlooking the Bird's Nest Stadium, uh, which had a circular opening. And um, being there that night, looking out the window and seeing the boat run and and the response that happened from the Chinese people, um, you know, in huge numbers, this this guy from Jamaica, six foot seven or whatever he is, um, just dominated, and um, it was it was absolutely wonderful to watch it, and then to know that the Jamaican broadcasters who did not have a spot in the stadium because they couldn't afford it. So they were broadcasting from a sort of an ATCO trailer off to the side of the stadium. And a producer got into it and and sent a camera in there and saw the reaction of Jamaican broadcasters when Bolt won in 969, which was a huge new world record. it was great. I mean, it was it was just absolutely a wonderful moment. And and of course, as we all know, Bolt became and has become a living legend. And there are very few living legends in sport, but he's certainly one of them. That was that was a great, great moment.
0: Yeah, that moment and really that year's Olympics, for me at least, was perhaps the most memorable out of all the Olympics that I've seen so far. I remember, because Beijing, and for that matter, that part of China being 12 hours different in time zones from Canada, well, from from Eastern time here in in Ontario, I remember there were some nights where we would stay up late. If it was a weekend, of course, we would stay up late in order to watch Usain Bolt run. Michael Phelps win his eighth gold medal. I think that is really a part of a small part of what the olympics are bringing people together into one place and to really celebrate the abilities of human achievement where as we were talking about earlier it's not the destination it's the journey but seeing the results of that journey and seeing how a person's able to compete with themselves and be at their absolute best and surpass break and surpass their own limits and achieve a whole new power level you know that is something that i think really speaks from a human level, even outside of sport.
1: Yeah, no, that's ab- absolutely right. And, and the Paralympics as well. Um, you know, seeing uh, Chantel uh win a number of uh, gold medals, uh, I think five gold medals at those Paralympic Games and seeing the crowds uh, as big at the bird's nest for the Paralympians as they were for the Olympians. Uh, that was tremendously encouraging. And uh, that you're right, that we were growing. We were surpassing ourselves. We were we were becoming you know, attuned to sport for sports sake. It was terrific.
0: Absolutely. And over these 38 years, almost 40 years at the CBC, you've been you've tell, told so many stories and you've worked so hard in telling all these stories at the same time. Take us through a day in your life at work at the CBC. What's that day like, and how has it evolved over these almost four decades? Well,
1: I don't think there's much has changed, Amos. I think it's, uh, it's, it's prepare, prepare, and prepare some more. Um, you have to become immersed in this genre, in, in sport. You have to love it. And, um, you know, I'm constantly watching, reading. I read a lot uh, about sport. Um and, and that's that's you know, a necessity in this line of work that, you know, if if you don't um know what you're talking about or the story that you're trying to tell, you can be exposed pretty rapidly. Um and and so you I think the bulk of what I do is uh to keep abreast of what's happening. In Olympic sport, I, obviously that's that's my area of focus. Um, and I write a lot. Uh, I, I write a fair amount. Um, I write for our website uh, quite frequently. Um, you know, right now uh, the, the World Athletics Championships are going on. I'm constantly watching the live stream of that. Um, I, I think, you know, I spend most of my time, um, you know, immersed in my operation and research. Um, on the weekends, I, I'm, in, I'm in the studio performing, um, you know, five hours on Saturday, five hours on Sunday. And I um, can be a bit of a grind, but um, that, uh, that's, the, that's the life of a sports broadcaster. You have to be prepared and to be able to perform your craft, Um, and I think that's really important.
0: Yeah. It's a fun life too. I mean, it can be a bit of a grind, but I mean, it's a fun life, you know, when you prepare and you see the fruits of your labor come up on broadcast. And of course, many Canadians see that every single weekend when you're on.
1: Right on. I agree with you a hundred percent.
0: So what are the biggest misconceptions that other people have had about the world of sports broadcasting that you've seen in your career?
1: Well I think the you know the misconceptions uh are that it's easy uh that it's uh fun and games uh that it's 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 uh you know uh it doesn't require all that much preparation if you're a fan you could be a sports broadcaster and I don't think that's the case really um you know a lot more people are becoming sports broadcasters because of the advent of social media and the platforms that are available to them. Um, but I, I, I still think there's a huge misconception out there that uh, that you don't really need to be a professional in order to do this job. And I think you do. I think you need to uh, be a, a sound uh, journalist. You need to be a sound storyteller. Uh, you need to be able to relate to people. You need to be a team player. Uh, it's not all about you. Uh, Broadcasting involves a team, uh, from camera people to producers to writers to researchers. Um, it, it's it's a team effort. So there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think people sometimes have a misconception that this is a walk in the park. And it is anything but.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I remember from a conversation that I had with Dean Brown, who is the play-by-play announcer on TSN 1200 for the Ottawa Senators. He told me in one particular talk he had that in order to prepare for a game, it's almost like preparing for a high school exam in about three or four days, something like that. Because, you know, know, it's not easy, it's not difficult, but there's work, there's voluminous work that you have to do before each broadcast. And even before each season, especially if you're looking at hockey at any level you got to be able to do your prep you got to be able to understand what's going on that year what happened the previous year and then bring that forward into this one even at the at the university and local levels I've heard some people say oh just go on a mic just turn on the mic and you just call I'm like no no, like there's a lot of moving parts you have to do. You have to coordinate with your producers and you're a co-announcer if you have one and you have to do this and that and this and that. So what are the greatest lessons that you've learned from your time as a sports broadcaster?
1: Well, I think I, I, think I alluded to that a, a little bit earlier is that, that you have to be a team player. Um, you, know, you have to realize that you're involved with a group of people that are uh, trying to make each other successful. And, uh, you know, sport is all about team, right? Um, Whether it's an individual sport or whether you play for uh, the Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Raptors, you're part of a team. Um, There are people who support you along the way. And I I think the the greatest lesson is is that you you have to be willing to be part of the team. You have to have a certain humility um, that uh, you're gonna make mistakes. Um, and that you won't be right all the time. Um, and nor nor should you be the one who uh, is supposed to be right all the time. Sport broadcasting, sports broadcasting is not about giving your opinion on everything. It's about telling a story and, um, and reflecting the characters who play sport and why they're important. And one of the important lessons that I've learned along the way about sport broadcasting is that it's not about me. I'm not the story. The story is the performers, the athletes. They are the story. Uh story is not about me. So uh, th- those are the kinds of lessons that I've learned. And I, I think one of the other lessons that I've learned, Amos, quite frankly, is that, you, you, you know, you've got to be immersed in sports broadcasting um, but you also have to spend time with your family and that, you know, like, um, as my family's right now, kind of waiting for dinner, but, uh, you know, like, like I, you have to spend time with the people who support you. Um, and that goes back to what I said about sports broadcasting is it's not about me. It's about the people who play and my ability to tell their story.
0: Where do you see yourself five years from now?
1: Uh, I got to tell you, in this five years from now, um, I don't mind saying it. I'll be 70 years old. And Amos, I hope I'm on my boat on the lake uh, in the Halliburton Highlands and enjoying some quiet time with my family. That's, that's, that's and I, I love to go for a swim every morning that I'm there. And that's what I plan to do. I'll still be very interested in sport, but uh, uh, I, I want to participate in sport for as long as I can, whether it's skiing or getting in a canoe or riding uh, a bike with my wife. Um, but in five years time, that's what I hope I'm doing. I hope I'm still active and I hope I still every once in a while get a chance to tell a good story.
0: That's great. That's a great, great plan for five years. And as we begin to close this episode, What is any final words that you want to say to the audience in terms of anything that we've talked about today? Sports, casting, life, et cetera?
1: Well, you know, I I think, Amos, that uh, sport is not life. It's a reflection of certain elements of life. Um, And it, to me, is a huge part of our cultural narrative and who we are as a people. Um, I heard it once said uh, by Sebastian Coe, who is uh, the president of World Athletics and who was the organizer of the London 2012 Olympics. And he said at the opening of the games, he said, there is a truth in sport. We all find it irresistible to compete in sport. And we find it irresistible to watch the spectacle of sport. And I believe that. I believe that sport is in us. It's in all of us. It's our universal language. It's something that everybody understands. And I'm just happy to have made a career out of broadcasting sport.
0: That's some great words to end on. And it's been such an honor to have you on the podcast and an honor to have you as the longtime broadcaster, now Olympic primetime broadcaster for the CBC and for Canada for so many years. Once again, Scott, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been really, really great. I think the audience is going to learn a lot from this and, uh, you know, learn from the living legend of Scott Russell.
1: Hey, miss, thanks very much for having me. All the best to you.
0: Thank you. And thank you to our audience for tuning in to this episode of This is the Legend of. You can follow Scott Russell on his social media, on Instagram and, and Twitter, at CBC scott russell once again that's at cbc scott russell so once again this was scott russell on this is the legend of podcast be sure to visit our website and our social media follow us everywhere so you won't be missing any of the content that we update out so once again thank you so much this is amos Vane. signing off for now stay safe stay healthy and stay legendary